0: most of the time. Today, especially, when I smashed my elbow, this is my ice pack here on the... Poor Queenie. On the uh, the arm, guys. I, I hit it hard. And I was sobbing. I'm like, I'm trying, God. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a few, oh. a lot of little things that accumulated to that point where I'm like, I'm really trying hard to, you know, stay in good vibration and stick with my meditations and do all of that and like little things that... You know, little disappointments are piling up, and you're like, "I gotta stay in this good vibration, yeah. and then something happens like that, and then you're like, well, <laughs> <laughs> wow. and then I picked myself up, and I'm like, "Okay, go outside to the sun. You're true. Go talk to yourself, get your shit together because everything's fine, and you're gonna keep accumulating this. But it was the first couple mornings I woke up thinking about problems, Ooh. and isn't it funny? I mean, I caught it really quickly, but like Dr. Joe says, most people wake up the first thing they think about is their problems. Mm. And so I, uh, I started realizing, oh, that's why things are kind of getting a little wonky. So we had to change that. First thing I did was I ran into a meditation and felt so much better after, but you know, you can't help the fact that you've already set that point. Right. So now you got to really work harder to clean the vibration so that you can get back to where you were. Mm. hmm. Because then you will smash yourself. And hurt your elbow. and her I have
1: to say, Maria, I thought of you in my while I was driving to work this morning because I'm trying, I usually blast music, which I think just like overstimulates me. Like mm-hmm. I love my music. But this morning, I just drove in silence and honestly this was the first conscious time i remember thinking a thought and saying oh what was that that we just thought and catching it and choosing again queen i know like literally the first time i like truly remember being like so present and i was like oh, we need to start driving
0: without music more I'm often." so proud of you Thanks. i i generally don't listen to music yeah. i generally have a quiet And I really, really like that. You know, sometimes I'll watch people and they drive by early in the morning with blaring music and I'm like, God, that's just a lot. It's a lot to start your day with. And then also, you're not paying attention to what you're saying. Think of the words. Generally speaking, (laughs) you're programming your body and your mind with a lot of negative stuff, Mm, whether it's, you know, (laughs) I mean, do we need to go through the lyrics, guys? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a programming. So I rather sit in the car in peace and just enjoy, you know, whatever beautiful things I see. Right. And then if not, create the beautiful things in my mind. What do I want? How do I want my day to go? What do I, <clears throat> what am I aspiring to right now? So I'm trying to program every cell to be thinking all the good things that I want um, rather than what I don't want. So, yeah, having quiet time in the car. First of all, a lot of moms, and it was funny, it was trending the other day, a lot of moms go to their cars to have alone time. My mom, all the time. Right? (laughs) All the time she would do that. It's a refuge. So you need to sometimes consider that that vehicle could be your refuge. Like it could be your place where no one's talking to you. That's why we all love flying sometimes, right? Some of us. Kevin loves his flights because he's just in his little cocoon. No one's talking to him or hopefully no one will. So you put your headphones on. It's your private time in this capsule that no one can, you can't be distracted with all the things you're usually distracted with. So you can use your car in that same very way. I I mean, I remember in Connecticut, I think um, during COVID, I took the minivan to the post office. They had like a little fountain outside in Connecticut and I just sat out there and I talked to myself. <laughs> so
1: I yeah. love it. I think that, I mean, when I was at Nordstrom back in the day, I used to go eat in my car and everyone would be like, oh, let's all have lunch together. And I was like, Mm-mm, I need, I need 30 minutes not speaking to anyone. Which is funny because
0: uh, I wouldn't see you doing that because you're more like me where we just want to be with everybody. Right.
1: I needed but it. But now
0: we really see... I think because we're so outward all the time, we really have to be recharging all the other time. <laughs> oh
1: yeah yeah, but but it's true. I mean that's something that I like even when I did that at Nordstrom, I wasn't aware of why I was doing it and I feel like just recently I've understood, oh Kelsey, you have you have to recharge your social battery or you will die because mm-hmm. I used to be like, I get energy from people blah 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 blah
0: me too. Right.
1: And yeah, now we're like, bada uh-huh.
0: bada 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 blah.
1: exactly. <laughs> but now we need, we need our recharge time.
0: I love it. Need All it. right. Friends, our quote of the day has to do with what we're talking about today. Not um peaceful in the car, but that is a bonus for you. Um, it's the only way your hormones can achieve balance is if your body does the job. And only if you safeguard and nurture it with every meal and habit every day, to Optimize Endocrine Function. That is by Elisa Vitti. Heal Squad, I am so excited to have Elisa, Elisa Viti back on the show. She first came on, I think a year or so ago. Yeah. And she taught us all about perimenopause and menopause, menopause and postmenopause. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, she was teaching us about how she hacked her own hormone system to get herself healthier, how to beat PCOS. She's helped Kelsey in her journey. Yes, she has. And um, I'm just really getting fascinated by hormones because I feel like my age group's starting to deal with all this stuff. And I'm hearing all these people going and doing all these um, hormone replacement things. But then there's these doctors that do all these things and it keeps you so young. And I'm like, yeah, that's all scary to me. And I don't know if I really see any of these people looking younger. I think that they think they look younger, but they look as great as they did before. Yeah. I don't know if you can really credit these things. Anyway, so I'm a little nervous about all of them. And I know Elisa is going to be the one who has devoted her whole life to researching this. I know that there are people and doctors who devote their, you know, medical career to studying in college and then treating patients. But... There are few people that continue their education, and I know that Elisa is constantly got her nose in a book. I just I know the type of person she is. And so um, she is uh, a woman's hormone and functional nutrition expert. She's a pioneer in female biohacking. She's also the best-selling author of Woman Code and In The Flow. She's the creator of the Cycle Sinking Method. This is super cool, by the way. We talked about this in the other episode. So we should link last episode with her in the summary of this episode in case you missed it. It's such a great listen. Um, Really, really helpful information. And the Cycle Syncing Method is a female-centric diet and lifestyle program that leverages hormonal patterns for optimal health, fitness, and productivity. So she says that with food, you can hack your system which makes a lot of sense because some super smart Greek guy called Hippocrates said let food be thy medicine.
1: <laughs> super smart.
0: <clears throat> so I am curious to see if she thinks there's ever a need for synthetic hormones to kind of balance things out, maybe help you get to you know, a homeostasis spot and then let food do the rest, who knows. But um, her methods have been adopted by lots of celebrities organizations even the women's u.s soccer team so uh, we're going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to be chatting with alisa Viti. to Do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz-free, up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way T H E O U A I dot com and enter the promo code Heal Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way. T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com. Promo code Heal Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. Alisa, yes. you have an incredible story of really kind of having to heal yourself. And I was telling everyone before you got on that we had an incredible episode with you talking about kind of your journey to healing, how much you suffered. Um, I'll never forget hearing about the cystic acne and just how hard it was to even put clothes on because it was all over your body your body was screaming, your your cycles were non-existent, non-existent. <laughs> and, and nobody knew what to do with you. And then you did yeah. the research and you found that little piece of paper in the encyclopedia, you ripped it out, took it to your gyno and said, this is what I have. I need a transvaginal ultrasound. I need this, I need that. So um, you figured out how to heal yourself and how to hack the system. And now you help women all day long to to get healthier and get better. So for anybody that wants to know why she's such an expert at what she is, go back and listen to the episode. We're putting the link in the summary. But I think for this episode, we really want to talk about um, you know, hormonal patterns, hormone imbalances, um, and what the right thing to do is, because I, as i'm i'm forty four and I'm hearing all the like women in my, you know, social circles, they're going to the same doctor, everyone's getting whatever it is that he's giving everybody. And they're all touting how it keeps you young and all of this. And all of that just scares me. Once everyone's like, Oh my God, go to this person, go to this person. And it's kind of like the hot thing. I usually get kind of, Ooh, I don't know. Uh, I wonder who that is and
2: what they're giving. (laughs)
0: Yeah, But Uh, you say you you can do it with diet,
2: right? It's likely hormone replacement therapy, if, if I had to guess. And, you know, as we've talked about in the past, not everybody is a candidate for that, just due to cancer history in the family and, and other, you know, risk factors. But yeah, I thought today would be really good to just kind of do a hormone 101. Mm-hmm. What are they? How do they work? How do we work with them? How do we know when they're not? in balance? What can we do naturally to support them at different stages of our life cycle so that wherever you are, if you're in your 20s, you can be pain-free or PMS-free. Or if you're in your 30s, early 40s trying to conceive, you can have that be a successful experience for you with the least amount of interventions. Doesn't mean you, can, you don't have to have any interventions, but just the least amount. Or if you're in your early 40s, mid 40s, late 40s, how can you navigate perimenopause So that it's a less turbulent experience with lower symptom burden and severity. So that you don't necessarily feel the need to get on HRT if you choose not to. So I think once we understand how it all works and how it all works over time, it becomes a much easier process to manage. It's less um, like, you know, you don't need to do so many different things. It's kind of this one contiguous hormone support lifestyle you want to start living.
0: I think you said something really important that I don't want to um, miss and that hormone replacement isn't for everyone because of health risk factors. So what I've learned in the IVF journey and having a meningioma brain tumor is that hormones grow things. So if there's anything going on in your system, there's a potential that you can now spread it or grow it or whatever. So That's my layperson bit of information that I know. But I don't think people know this, and I think it's really, really important as people embark on an IVF journey, nobody talks about it, um, or if they're going to go see someone for hormone imbalances. You know, people are specialists of what they do. They're not thinking of the whole picture sometimes. So they're like, oh, your testosterone's low, let's give you a little testosterone. But they're not going to say they might not do all the homework to make sure that this is a safe route for you. Um, am I correct in that line of thinking?
2: I think it's, I think it's a reasonable thing to be concerned about because, you know, oftentimes you're right. We're, you know, endocrinologists and other doctors can be just looking at levels and the, the reasonable logic is, well, if there's something that's sufficient, let's augment it with a synthetic form or even a bioidentical form. But in, you know, this is why I was so in my own experience in my 20s, you know, I didn't want to go on hormone replacement therapy, aka the pill, right? I didn't want to shut off my own production of hormones. Um, Why I was sort of loath to do that in the first place is I thought, you know, wouldn't it be better... Yes, clearly there's some insufficiency with my hormones, but wouldn't it be better instead of replacing them with something exogenous, if I could figure out a way to get my body to do what it's supposed to do, which is to be making these hormones itself. And that was an important sort of distinction, right? You have to make a choice. Do you want to work with your system to help it regain homeostasis? Or do you want to take something that's going to put those levels in your body? And then you have to constantly take that, right? Because then your body stops making those things over time. So, you know, there's that. And then I I do think that um, we, we could be having a little bit more of a robust conversation, you know, when it comes to the entire conversation of hormone replacement, whether it be through birth control, IVF, perimenopause, about Things to consider, risks, and our individual roles, and what we have to do to make this process easier on the body. Right. We've, and, and we all come to this, I think, really honestly, Maria, like there's a cultural narrative that basically sounds like your hormones are mysterious, unpredictable, difficult you know, just kind of throw up your hands and hope for the best. And that puts us in this passive role, which then makes us really an idea sort of a knee jerk reaction is yes, I'll take a pill. Yes. I'll take this. But
0: that's also the conversation around anything medical is give me the pill. Let me fix it quick. That's just the natural thing.
2: Right. And I think that, you know, some people have an experience like you have had, like I have had where, you know, there isn't a pill, There isn't something to cure the situation. And so we have to kind of, let's say, deviate from that path of like, okay, I'll just sort of do whatever I'm told to do and try to figure it out on our own. And and there's so much to share with everyone from that journey that, hey, actually, this is useful for everyone to take their own Health into their own hands and do a little bit more biohacking or whatever you want to call it, because you're totally, you're part of this, let's say, hormonal organism, right? That you are, right? You're part of that biofeedback. What inputs you're giving your body, the building blocks that your hormones are going to be using to make themselves, right? That's coming from the foods you're eating, the stress inputs that you're having, your lifestyle. These inputs are a hundred percent in your control unless you know somebody's like sticking a fork in your mouth being like eat this you know like if you're the one responsible for the food that's going in your body and the lifestyle choices that you're making then these are things that you can really start to shift and oh by the way it turns out they have enormous impact on hormonal output so if that's logical as well as, looking at the levels and saying, gee, you're deficient in testosterone, maybe we should up your testosterone. We should then also be looking at how do we modify our inputs so that we can improve our outputs naturally, right? And I think that's just, it should be a more inclusive conversation. I think we're getting there. I think we're getting there, but I I hear you. I know that (laughs) you would like it to be like that right away, right now.
0: Exactly. Well, because I just see I just see so many people like we all just, we want, we want to be fixed fast and we don't realize that it took a long time to get here. So it,
2: and there are sometimes undesired side effects from the fast route and you may not get the results that you want. And so you're kind of back into the situation where you have to do this anyway, where you have to take matters into your own hands Mm -hmm. and be a little bit more involved. It's really, and you know, I think about it this way too there's something about the journey of like going from childhood to adulthood childhood. You have like your mom, she's telling you what to do. She's, ner- she's making you eat the vegetables and telling you when to go to bed and blah, blah, blah. and then part of our sort of individuation process as teens and young adults is that we like shun all of that. Right. And so we go into our adulthood thinking in a way that it's a mark of independence to not take care of ourselves. Interesting. And at some point, Everybody has to come to that sort of like reckoning of when do you start mothering yourself? When do you start actually looking at your life as an opportunity to take over the role that your mom was role modeling for you? I love
0: right? that. When do we That's start whole mothering yourself?
2: Yeah, that's the whole part. She's Your mom is there to t- show you how to do it so that when you leave the house, you do it for yourself. But because we think we're supposed to rebel, we stop doing it and then we get all these health issues and then we have to kind of figure it out way later than we should. There's so much unnecessary lag time and unnecessary suffering. So I do think it's all a self-love mothering journey. <laughs> um, but sometimes we need something to help us kickstart that journey, like a, a focus on a particular health goal. And I think also we need the bridge of science to walk over, to feel confident that what we're doing is the right you know, place to put our
0: efforts. And mm-hmm. I,
2: I think that's really valid too.
0: So let's break down hormones. What are they exactly? And and then we can go All from All the there. things.
2: <laughs> well, let's, just, let's just do it. So hormones are... I think of them as a chemical conversation that's happening between the glands within your organ, your endocrine system. So, uh, they're chemical messengers between, let's say, the pituitary gland in the brain and the thyroid and the ovaries and the adrenals. You know, and everything is working synergistically for specific goals. The most important goal that your endocrine system has, and why all these hormones are used to talking to each other, is to safeguard the transport of glucose to the brain the heart and the muscle tissue if anybody was like a star trek fan like i was growing up with my dad it's the prime directive of your endocrine system you have it has to do this if if this doesn't happen everything starts to ratchet up in terms of let's escalation orange alert compensation with elevated levels of other hormones. We have to get sugar to the brain, the heart, and the muscle tissue for obvious reasons. Keeps the lights on, keeps things pumping, keeps things moving, right? We disrupt this all day long. Most of us disrupt this blood sugar conversation First thing in the morning with breakfast. Either you're not eating it when you should, you're delaying it, you're intermittent fasting, which women in their reproductive years should not be doing. And if we have time, we can dive into that. Um, You're just having caffeine. Um, your, even if you put the butter in it, you're, uh, having something high sugar, you're having something that's like a junk food or high carb, all of this is going to disrupt your blood sugar. And then the rest of the day, your hormones are going to be trying to compensate for this massive disruption to blood sugar. And then we get things like elevated insulin then we have a hypoglycemic dip, then we have cortisol that rises to compensate for the fact that your blood sugar just dropped massively. And it starts to talk to your fat cells. And it says, "Hey, fat cells secrete some of that sugar back into the bloodstream so we can get blood sugar levels back up to get the brain, the heart, and the muscle tissue, what it needs. And then because it's doing that every day, all day long, day after day, without any support from your changing of your inputs, now we start to have a suppression of production of progesterone. And then we can have also issues with estrogen metabolism. And it just goes on and on. The cascade of the downward spiral of how things get out of balance is pretty easy, pretty quick. That's the bad news. But it's also the good news because is just as quickly as things can go out of balance. It's just as fast to get everything back online and it is just as easy, right? So Mm -hmm. things like getting your breakfast macros dialed in so that your blood sugar is where it should be. And for, for those of us today who are really into sort of, let's say the wearables conversation, you can be wearing a continuous glucose monitor you can be tracking your blood sugar so you know you're getting it right as opposed to having to wonder and guess. And if you just get that one input right, like 80% of the hormonal problems that you can have are going to be really nurtured and taken care of because you're supporting what is most important to the endocrine system.
0: Are you seeing more people wear CGMs, continuous glucose monitors, even if they don't have a diabetic situation? I am.
2: And I think it's a great thing because you can either do it one of two ways. You can do the continuous one, or you can just get an old fashioned glucometer, which is, you know, pricking your finger and but you can do Those are that. so
0: inaccurate. You can get a, th- a different reading You have to be
2: you have to be super consistent about let's say just tracking at like twenty minutes postprandial and an hour and two hours just to see you know what you so you yes it's it's massively inconvenient it's way more convenient to wear the CGM and I do think that younger people are really interested in understanding where they are what their levels are so that they can really know with certainty again we all feel more confident about putting effort into things when we have some data to mm-hmm. say yes you're doing it right and i think that's great that we're sort of in this you know biotech revolution where we can have these products direct to consumer to make our lives so much easier so you know that's at the highest level what hormones are doing hormones are supporting different activities in the body, the manufacturing of these different hormones, the, the signaling between these organs, the, the whole um, output of your reproductive, you know, monthly experience. So you know making sure the ovaries are doing what they're supposed to do and the endometrium is developed and you know all of that process is, is also being managed by hormones. Um, your stress response is managed by hormones. It's all every, I mean, I can't, it's, it's really hard to sort of pull apart what part of your daily experience isn't being sort of touched by hormones and hormones are human. They're not gender specific in the sense that's, you know, because we there's, there's this connotation that like, oh, women are hormonal, right? No, no, no. Humans are hormonal. Every age has hormones, right? It's just about the, quantity, the ratios, and that's what's gender specific, but hormones are across the board affecting men and women.
0: Well, then everything you just described, first of all, I've never heard anybody explain it like that. And now I understand so much more about why there's so much deterioration that continues to accumulate and so many things that pile up health wise. But it sounds like it's a very simple reason in a weird way of why we're infertile. Because if we have been inputting things into the system that are just throwing everything off, like we're eating a corn muffin in the morning and we're having a coffee with sugar in it and all this stuff, you're already screwing up your system and then it's trying to fix itself. It doesn't have time to be able to... Right, allocate to let's get her pregnant like this body is on fire inside right
2: that's right and then add to it the you know fad diets that women are constantly being messaged around that are all done the research on those diets are done on men and postmenopausal women and women are like reading about them in the media thinking oh intermittent fasting is for me paleo is going to solve all my problems whatever it is and then you do that it's also disruptive Um, In very specific ways. And then you add on your over exercising sort of, you know, thing that women have been conditioned to do because there's also a narrative that says, well, women are just smaller versions of men that need to overcompensate for their slightly sluggish metabolisms by eating less and working out more. And women feel, you know, self-conscious about their curves. And so they do all of this restriction and overexercise, which further disrupts insulin and cortisol and progesterone and estrogen. And so, so th- and then you may be on birth control pills for, you know, a, more than a decade. So by the time you reach your mid 30s, there can be 15 years of disruption that has been compounding. you're like that moment of trying to conceive that needs to be addressed and it's going to take some time to address it. So knowing that that's what happens, I think it's really important that younger women start to understand that this is something that's been happening to their you know, to women who are slightly older than them. And they do have an opportunity in their 20s to start addressing this sooner and that that is actually the right thing to do.
0: Yeah. You mentioned the paleo diet and all, all I know of the paleo diet is that it's just protein and vegetables, right? Right. Oh No,
2: it's a a specific, it's a lot more intense with animal fats and
0: and proteins.
2: And for some women who, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about estrogen and and estrogen overload, but for some women who struggle with some diagnosed conditions like fibroids and endometriosis, having those things can actually make those, doing a paleo diet can make it worse. For women with PCOS who think it will help them with weight loss, which is, you know, sort of this thing that they're always told that's going to fix all your problems. It's not really this weight. Weight loss is the side effect of balanced hormones. I remember have lost 50 pounds a few times, you know, once when I healed myself and then again after pregnancy. But, you know, weight loss is the side effect of balanced hormones. Clear skin is the side effect of balanced hormones. A healthy cycle is the result of healthy hormonal balance. These are not the things that you try to get first you don't get the weight loss you don't get the clear skin mm-hmm. and then worry about your hormones you got to go to these root causes and then watch your body do what it's supposed to do so the promise and but the seduction of these like diets you know to say oh this is going to help you lose that weight and will be the answer to all your prayers is frustrating i know for women because a it's the research is done on men we're applying it in a system that hasn't been tested. And what we're finding is that it's, it's making women with PCOS, for example, have worsening of their symptoms. Um, and then again, like I said, for other women with other types of menstrual disorders, it can also have a problem, you know, problematic uh, impact as well. So I, 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 and this is what kept me up at night. You know, I, I was like, we should be getting better as a, as a group, not worse because, The internet is talking about women's hormones in a way that is historic in nature, right? We've never had this much dialogue about it before. I believe yesterday was World Menopause Day, and we had women gathering all over the country in major cities talking about, you know, menopause and its solutions, and that's super historic. I mean... Let's just think about the past 50 years. Have we had people free bleeding uh, you know, on the, on the London Marathon? Have we had a menopause day where people... Had, no. <laughs> you know, so this is really important that we're having these conversations and opening up this dialogue. But what's lacking is the research. And what's frustrating is still, still despite the dialogue and the increased media coverage, 80% of women are going to have a hormonal problem in her lifetime. And I looked at that and I said, what are we missing? What are we not looking at? Why is the, why is the per ratio so huge in the female population and so small in the male population? It's like 80% of men are not having a hormonal problem, right? It's not a thing for the male set of population, right? So what is it we're missing? And that sort of led me to write the second book, In the Flow, because it was clear that we were overlooking a key biological rhythm called the infradian rhythm and that we needed a specific method to support these hormonal patterns that we have that are unique to the cycle. And so that's why I created the cycle thinking method. And then we now have over 5 million women, you know, on TikTok and Instagram, hashtag cycle thinking, because it makes sense, right? Why would we do the same thing every day, Maria, when our hormones are changing throughout the cycle, right? Mm -hmm. It's just illogical. It makes sense for guys because they're hormonal cycles on a 24 hour clock, but ours is changing week over week. And we need a, a method, a hormone care method that's as dynamic as our hormones. And so that's what I've created with that. And I,
0: but yeah, I at the same time, a lot of women, re- it included like working out with weights certain times of the month and not other times of the month. And, you're changing your caloric your intake.
2: Yeah. Changing your caloric intake to, to match your metabolic shifts. I mean, all of these things, and you know, we can dive deeper into that. But I mean, I think women don't even fundamentally understand what are the hormones involved in the cycle. So we just talked about what, are, what do hormones do? Why are they there? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's sometimes hard for women to understand what is the cycle? Where am I in the cycle? How do I know if the symptoms that I am having are hormonal in nature, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we definitely want to talk a little bit about estrogen because there's a lot of conversation about estrogen dominance and what does that
0: mean? And mm-hmm. how do you know if you have that? What is that yeah. actually? I you know? recently saw something, Kelsey, do you remember what I yeah, looked up? Yeah, an
1: article and I actually sent it to Elisa and she, she read it because it, I'm going to pull up exactly what it was. Hold on, everybody.
0: Look at it and then we'll. you can just text me and I'll, I'll remember what I had to say about that but
1: it was signs and symptoms of high estrogen diagnosis treatment and more and you were saying Kelsey have you checked your hormones this could be what's happening with you
0: (laughs) oh well there you go yeah
2: yeah I mean you know let's talk about that for a second so when we so we talked about sort of how easy it is for our hormones to get off track with insulin and cortisol and progesterone and why is that important because when we don't have enough progesterone production, right. And we're eating foods that are, let's say pro-inflammatory, a couple things can happen. And when we talk about estrogen dominance, it's important to distinguish that there are kind of two versions of that. So there's what I like to call dirty estrogen, which is when your body is metabolizing estrogen, breaking it down, right. It's breaking it down into forms that are toxic and problematic and so that can come because you're eating let's say a very pro inflammatory diet you're clogging up the liver you don't have the right micronutrients to help your body break estrogen down into the safer versions and get you're constipated you you know all these other cofactors that create the situation in which you're now having toxic forms of estrogens over circulating in the body. And this of course is very, very concerning because again, if there's a history of cancers in the family, you do not want this situation with dirty estrogen happening in your scenario. On the other side of estrogen overload, the other reason why it can happen is from a progesterone insufficiency. So it's unopposed estrogen. So in a healthy woman in her reproductive years, during her luteal phase, she should be making a hundred times more progesterone than estrogen. Now, if you have any amount of PMS going on, that is your first line clue, letting you know that that ratio of a hundred to one of progesterone to estrogen is not happening.
0: So when you say PMS, you mean all the symptoms of PMS? Any symptom of PMS that only takes place in a situation
2: where you don't have enough progesterone, wow. you just have more estrogen. So, and all the symptoms of estrogen dominance look a lot like PMS, breast tenderness, moodiness, brain fog, bloating, lumps in your breasts, um, acne, mood swings, anxiety, weight gain, trouble sleeping. It, all these things are signs of estrogen overload. Um, it's also PMS, right? So you can have it just during the luteal phase, you can have it what feels like longer during the cycle, because you have these sort of two phases where estrogen is surging, you have ovulation, where estrogen has a really peak surge moment. And then you can have the luteal phase where estrogen also increases. But in an ideal situation, you have a lot more progesterone to oppose it. So for half of the month, you can feel like you have this excess estrogen situation that's giving you all of these symptoms. You can not feel beautiful and wonderful and in the mood during ovulation. You can feel broken out and breast tenderness and, you know, insomniacal and anxious during ovulation. You can feel the same way during the luteal phase, depending on how severe your estrogen overload is. See,
0: Kelsey, I feel like that sounds like you because I feel like you (laughs) might be blaming a lot of stuff on your gut that might've actually healed and the bloating could be from this. So did Mm -hmm. you get your hormones
1: tested? No, but I will with Dr. Allison.
0: Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah.
2: And, you know, to tie it into the gut, right? Estrogen metabolism also is happening in the gut. There's a whole set of bacterial genes called the estrobolome that are there specifically to help break down toxic forms of estrogen. So it is important to have a balanced gut. It's part of our protocol as well in fluid Living to make sure that you're able to metabolize estrogen properly. And I wrote about this extensively in the first book, Woman Code, because there's an order in which you want to sort of address these things in the body. But that's the fundamental situation with estrogen dominance. And the good news is, that you can really eat your way out
0: of it. That's the best way out of it. This is what I'm so excited about because even when you mentioned um, eating earlier, I was like, I wanna know what we're supposed to eat so fast. Like I wanna know. So, that. I mean, okay, like if there's <laughs> if, if
2: you've got like, let's say acne and some of these other things that we talked about, I would, just to for fun, just so that you can see how quickly you can recover from this kind of stuff. I would have you do a two week experiment where you during the ovulation and luteal phases that those two weeks where you just have two tablespoons of flax every day and about a quarter cup of cilantro every day. You could put it in a smoothie. You could put it cooked. You could eat it in a salad. I don't care how you eat it. There is a special compound in cilantro that helps our body, our livers metabolize things a little bit more efficiently without you having to take some, let's say, more extreme supplement like milk thistle or other things. And then the flax is going to help bind with that metabolized estrogen and get it out of your gut as quickly as possible. Because that's the other thing during luteal phase, oftentimes women find themselves a little bit more constipated because any amount of progesterone that's you know, in normal range is going to slow down transit time in the gut, which is why in the cycle thinking method in this phase, we eat specific foods to help keep our uh, momentum going with bowel movements so that you're still going every day, nice, robust bowel movement first thing in the morning without any caffeine. That's how you know you're not constipated. If you have to have caffeine... Before you go to the bathroom, you're constipated. And so you, these two things alone is a great a little experiment for you to see just what I what I mean when I say there's so much power in changing your inputs. Now, there's so much more that you can do, but I like to give women sort of a little taste of success because then they want to do more naturally as opposed to, let's say, a huge laundry list of all the things that you can do. But yes, So
0: to know you're in the luteal phase, you have to probably use one of those apps, right? Like the OVIAs or whatever to know that. You're there.
2: You you know, you can track your, obvi- once you know when you've ovulated, right? That's sort of, so you can use anything to help you measure ovulation. It can be basal body temperature tracking. You can pee on an ovulatory t- test strip you know, which you can pick up at the drugstore. You can do anything that you need from a tracking point of view. And then you just give yourself, you know, three days post ovulation, and then you are in the luteal phase. You don't have to have any other way to, to measure that, right? So mm-hmm. give yourself a couple of days, then you're there. And then you are there for 10 to 12 days if you're healthy and you're having a
0: normal The cilantro cycle. sounds like a great idea in general for the liver, right? The liver has to do so much processing, whether you're drinking, whether you're taking medicines sounds like a really good thing.
2: I had someone years ago hear me talk about this experiment and she was a a journalist and she, without telling me, she's like, this sounds too good to be true. And she had all this acne and other estrogen dominant stuff going on. And she did this experiment. And then she reached out to me, like just beside herself, like, I can't believe I've been going to X, Y, Z and trying ABC potions and lotions and trying to clear up this acne. And then two weeks And 20 bucks later, it's gone, you know? And I was like, well, but that's what happens when you feed your hormones, what they need. They start to do their job which is to restore homeostasis. It's not complicated. It's just, we have not been taught how to do it.
0: But that's the thing that's so frustrating in the regular medical system. No one says those words. Dr. Joe Dispenza said it to me this summer when I was dealing with something. He's like, we just got to get you back to homeostasis. No one talks about homeostasis. They just say, here's the fix. Here's the pill. And, and that's it. So, how are we, we're not conditioned to think that there's a way out for $20 with some cilantro and flaxseed. And it is flaxseed powder, right? Like just the flaxseed. Yeah. You can
2: grind your own or the powder. Yeah. Either, either way. Um, um, but yeah, you know, it's, listen, conventional medicine is fantastic for things that it is fantastic for, which Mm -hmm. is saving your life, major surgeries, antibiotics, you know when there's an infection. I mean these are the, this is in a lot of ways what it was created for is triage medicine, right It's come way beyond that now and it's doing hugely advanced, incredible things. We are also lucky that it exists.
0: Mm-hmm. I say the same And thing. doctors
2: are genius and wonderful. I think that there are there is a new conversation saying, you know, yeah there are some systemic chronic metabolic scenarios of health issues that do need a different kind of management. And I think there is a a lot of support in the medical community for this new type of conversation. So, you know, listen, it's a, it's a group effort. We all have to do our part. And I think, you know, taking what's perfect or imperfect about that situation to the side Mm -hmm. as a woman, especially in today's environment, I think it is, an in, in, in essential part of our journey to learn about how our operating system works mm-hmm. and to take matters into our own hands as a an act of self-love and an act of you know taking the t- taking
0: right actions for ourselves well it's here's the thing it's kind of annoying to have to But at the same time, we don't really have a choice because no matter what, we're going to be confronted with it. So you either jump on board and and figure it out so you don't have to do all these synthetic things and all these other stuff. You can work with your body and give it the things that it needs. So, So... Diet and what we should be doing in the morning and in the afternoon and at night. And I know it's gonna vary at different points in the cycle, which is why the cycle sinking method is so important. But tell us a little bit more about what where we might be going wrong, right? Because I still loved hearing the things we were eating in the morning and then the coffee. First of all, the other part of this is you're already dehydrated, right? and then you're dehydrating yourself more with coffee. So there are things obviously you can do. We talk about it, but um, let's talk more about what we're kind of doing. That's not great. And then what we should be doing.
2: Yeah. So definitely breakfast is like the essential thing. I think dialing in your macros, making sure you're having the right combination of macronutrients that are going to keep your blood sugar stable. What are macros? So, So carbohydrates, fats, proteins, right? Um, The first, the best way that we know that stabilizes blood sugar is to have vegetables first. If you have vegetables first and then you eat other things in a reasonable portion, right? Let's say your protein and fats. And then the last thing you eat is your carbohydrates. You're not going to experience a sort of extreme blood sugar spike. If you do it the other way around where you have, let's say the oatmeal first or the donut first, and then, you know an egg after or something, you're going to have a big spike and then a drop. And then you're going to be chasing that blood sugar all throughout the day and compensating with other hormonal, um, you know, imbalances to kind of deal with this blood sugar situation.
0: And also that spike is what's exhausting you. Like I'm watching my husband in real time. I keep trying to tell him, but now I sound annoying. Like you're spiking yourself with this coffee, and whatever you're putting in it and then you crash and then you need another one and then you crash and then you eat some lucky charms and then you go up and then you crash oh and
2: i i mean I, i do like to say this too because i know this is like so popular in the biohacking conversation is this you know coffee thing but what needs to be said Every time with this coffee conversation and every time there's a study published about the longevity benefits of caffeine consumption is that remember that 50% of the population has a gene variation, the CYP1A2 gene, where you, if you have this gene variation, you don't make the enzymes to break the caffeine down. So 50% of the population will develop caffeine toxicity. Whoa from you know and you can go to the Mayo Clinic's website and just type in the search bar caffeine toxicity and read the symptoms and find yourself there the thing that's happening to your husband is pretty indicative of caffeine toxic reaction right because for people who have the gene without the variation and they make this enzyme They get all the things that everybody hears that caffeine is so good for. They get sustained energy. They get mental clarity. They get the cardiovascular benefits. It makes them fantastic. But the other half of the population, it makes them very ill and makes you feel like you have anxiety. It It can create a longer hypoglycemic response after the bigger spike and the longer drop down. You can feel depressed you can have physical jitters. You can, I mean, it is, and then you're trying to break it down all day long and then you can't sleep at night and then you wake up more tired. I mean, it's a a mess. That's
0: Kevin. That's Kevin. Kevin So what is is the test you have to do specifically? I have to make sure everybody understands it.
2: I mean, I don't even know if there is a test for this particular gene variation. This is, but I wish there was an easy test, but it's this the best way to for now okay. is for you just look at the symptoms of caffeine toxicity. If you have any of them, just simply do an experiment. Don't drink caffeine for 2 weeks wow.
0: and see how you feel. I think right? I have it because I quit recently and I went to green tea and I mm-hmm. feel great.
2: As long as you have the green tea on a full stomach. That's the other annoying oh, thing good about it. That's the other annoying thing about caffeine culture in, in the U.S. It's the only place in the world where caffeine culture is done on an empty stomach. Every other culture that does a beautiful tea service or even coffee, it's always after food as a form of a digestive aid. And it makes sense from a blood sugar point of view if you've got your vegetables, your protein, your fats, and then you have a small little espresso or a small little Turkish coffee or something small, little, little little bit of black tea or green tea. It just helps you with digestion. It doesn't spike up your blood sugar. But here we do it on an empty stomach. We do it first thing in the morning. We do multiple cups a day and it's not helping. And then that, so that's definitely affecting our hormones in our menstrual menstrual years it's it's shown caffeine consumption in women and men has been shown more than two cups a day has been shown to increase rates of miscarriage and your when you're trying to have a child and then when you're perimenopausal and you're having night sweats and hot flashes and you can't sleep the caffeine is also having an impact. So I, I get really frustrated and forgive me for getting a little bit ranty no, here I when you hear it. all these things about, oh, coffee, coffee and put butter in your coffee or whatever. It's for who and is, is this appropriate for you? And how is this affecting your hormones? And is it the right thing for you right now? I've been caffeine free for 25 years. I, I don't know how, you know, I, I'm the, where I get my energy is from keeping my hormones in homeostasis. Yeah. So Period. if if Period. you have somebody who's
0: <laughs> drinking coffee having these symptoms um mm. but like like Kevin he doesn't know how to get out of it. How can you stop when you need it to get up and you we need We have it to a like-
2: really lovely like caffeine taper down process that we recommend and I'll give you a quick and dirty version of it, right? So you're going to go day 1, you're going to do half and half. Or you, you I, I, First of all, I just want to make this disclaimer. I think decaf coffee is full of chemicals that are not ideal for, especially women, but for any human, right? So what I would do is if you have a eight ounce cup of coffee, normally day one, you're going to have a four ounce. You're just going to have less. You're going to have 50% less Okay. day two. You're going to do the same thing day three, four, and five. You're going to drop it down to 25%. Okay. Then day six, seven, eight, you're going to replace it with black tea.
0: Is black tea better than green tea?
2: Uh, It's just a little bit more caffeine. So we're going, we're going to do like the, the, cause we want to just avoid that Mm. caffeine headache situation. That's what people get really cranky and grumpy. And so this is the, this is like the microscopic step down method. You can go cold Turkey. You can do this as aggressively as you want, but if you want to have the most like gentle, lovely way to do it, it's 50%, 25% for a few days, black tea for a few days, green tea for a few days, and then nothing. Right. And by the time you get to the few days of green tea and you're doing that after
0: a meal, you're ready to make the switch. I'm really glad you said after a meal because I wasn't aware that it had that kind of impact on your stomach and your system. So I'm definitely going to switch up when I do it. Um, And I mean, I cold turkey did. I was like, okay. I think my stomach lining needs a little bit of assistance right now. And I am going to cut the coffee, even though I love coffee. I'm going to cut it for now, see what happens. And I did double green tea in the morning. And then when the headache started in the afternoon, and it was a good one, it was a doozy. I had another double green tea. And then the next day I went down to two. And then the next day... I went down to one and then I don't really even need it anymore. I just am doing it for the benefits of green tea now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, the benefits are great. And after a meal is, is the ideal time to do it. You can also augment your step-down process by increasing magnesium glycinate to support with the headache, increasing hydration in general, electrolytes, increasing B vitamins for energy and mood, right? So you want to think about how do you prevent that caffeine hangover, you would kind of do it in a similar fashion to just dealing with a hangover in general, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other way that you know that you may have this variation is how easy it is for you to make this transition, right? Because oh, it, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't as big of a deal. You kind of were like, yeah, okay, I'm good. That's That was right? me. That, yeah, and that's probably gonna be Kevin too. <sighs> and it's interesting, there is a correlation between people who have this gene variation and this caffeine problem, and issues with estrogen metabolism, right? So you may also notice that now that your liver is not trying to deal with all this cough, caffeine breakdown all day long, it has a little bit more energy and reserve to deal with your estrogen metabolism. And of course, you're going to start supporting that more and you're going to start to have a reduction in your symptoms too. So it is an important part.
0: Because I did blood tests after and my, my naturopath said that my hormones were balancing out.
2: Caffeine was blocking your liver's ability to have the, the, you know, what it needs because every, every reaction in the body like metabolizing caffeine requires micronutrients, right? Your liver remembers like nature's multivitamin. It stores a ton of micronutrients in there to do these very specific steps of detoxification needs vitamin A and B and C and E and glutathione and selenium and everything. Right. Wow! And so, but if you're, if all of that is being recruited to break down caffeine, you, you may not have enough reserve to break down your estrogen, which can exacerbate your issues.
0: Wow. Okay, what else are we supposed to be eating? So when you say we're supposed to eat carbs, that's that's an interesting thing. So you're supposed to have protein, carbs, fat.
2: In order, the ideal thing, and is I and the- I highly recommend that you guys check out a favorite Instagram um, account of mine, which is Glucose Goddess. We love she her. Just, mm-hmm. She's great. I love her too. I was on an IG Live with her. You know, it's like two peas in a pod. We're both like loving talking about sugar and, and how to eat and hormones. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's really important to eat in a specific order, right? And so vegetables first, then proteins and fats, and then some complex carbohydrates. Now, Glucose Goddess will talk about the fact that in her experimentation, you can eat any form of carbohydrate. Um, and it, it is less impactful if you eat in that order, but in women with hormonal imbalances, I do think it's really important what types of carbohydrates you're eating and, and when, and so, so we talked about breakfast, we talked about caffeine. I'm also going to talk about the timing between meals, right? You don't want to go too long between meals and thinking you're being some sort of intermittent fasting hero, um, because that, destabilizes blood sugar and exacerbates your hormonal problems so try to eat with a particular cadence your circadian rhythm really likes regular feeding intervals so you know wake eat within an hour of waking up then have another meal three hours later then another snack three hours later then dinner three hours later and then call it a day and then you get a nice 12 to 13 hour fast right but keep your blood sugar stable throughout the day don't don't think you're doing some sort of, you know, thing by skipping lunch or pushing those meals further and further back. Especially in perimenopause, eating earlier in the evening and eating the right combination of macronutrients is essential because we're finding out that the whole origin of hot flashes and night sweats is just your body still working off carbohydrates to help you stabilize your blood sugar. It's sweating out the sugar because you're sedentary and you're going to bed. You're not using, you're not burning mm-hmm. those calories. So it's doing it for you. It's trying to help you. Those night sweats and hot flashes are helping you keep your blood sugar where it should be. But of course it's miserable going so, through it. And
0: So two questions. One, can you get your carbs from vegetables and not have bread? Of course. And still be good. Okay. Then yeah. question number two If you're getting hot flashes, like I will get warm at night. Kevin does too. And I do think it's processing food usually or whatever. We try to eat early and then try not to sit, to lay down before, you know, we've given our time, our bodies ample time. But I have a cooling mattress. Does the cooling mattress do a disservice to the body that's trying to sweat everything out?
2: No, so I, I think that what you might want to look at is can you front load your carbohydrate intake in the morning, at lunch and in snack time, and then at night do something that's just protein, fats and vegetables, mm-hmm. right? And vegetables that are not high in carbohydrates, you know, so depending on where I am in my cycle, that might look like I'm having salad and fish for dinner. It might look like I'm having some beans and vegetables or just a soup mm-hmm. and protein that's really light at night.
0: And I think I find about that, that all that the you, time because you want your body to not have to do a lot of work at night.
2: That's right. That's right. And if you're wearing a CGM, you'll see that you actually have better levels throughout the night, right? Of your, of your whole blood sugar journey. So, and I think it becomes very important you know, at 40 to start really taking our dinner meals really seriously and, and, you know, no alcohol (laughs) at night, you know, no sugar, um, using nighttime as sort of like a, just giving your body some nutrition before your, your extended fast window. And you'll, you'll see that you just don't have as many issues with the sweating and the,
0: and the the heat surges. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, when so, you talk about so macron- carbohydrates
2: that are the optimal carbohydrates, like you said, are things that come from plants. So sweet root vegetables, legumes, those are like, you know, your first go-tos and then whole grains that you can digest. Mm-hmm. So things that I love are the pseudo grains that are really seeds that are very, like, are almost like a superfood. So I like quinoa. I like buckwheat. I like teff, especially it's got a lot of iron, um, and you can just make those, you can soak them and then cook them. They're really great. You can have that a small amount, a quarter cup in your sna- as a snack or in your lunch. It's It's not like this epic amount, mm-hmm. but they do provide the body, especially younger women with essential micronutrients that are important for progesterone production. So depending on where you are, And what's been going on. And even in perimenopause, you may need to incorporate a small amount of healthy, let's say, pseudo grains, like the buckwheat, like the quinoa, to help your body have a little bit more nutrition to to make more progesterone. Because that's what happens in perimenopause, is you start to make less and less and less progesterone. and And some of the symptoms, when estrogen is, let's say, doing its turbulent dance through your 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 cycles that are kind of unwinding without that unopposed without that progesterone to oppose it you can feel very estrogen dominant you can feel very hot flashy and night sweaty you can feel very hungry you can feel like you're gaining weight you can have all these things happen but you have to you do want to use food as a way to make help your body make a little bit more of that progesterone while you still can and the natural process of course is so that you make low levels of estrogen and progesterone as your new normal once you are postmenopausal you have these like low levels
0: yeah because and the reason you have them high is cuz you're fertile to have children right it's supposed Can, to go well, down to make the
2: cycles to yeah. have the eggs mature it's to have one grow to full maturity and then break off it's to grow the endometrial lining it's to allow you to have yes all the hormones produced in massive quantity if there is a conception and all of that so but,
0: we're talking hormones, and the only ones I know, and tell me if I'm, they're missing any, is estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. Is there any other ones?
2: Oh, yeah, there's a ton. There's really? luteinizing hormone, there's follicular stimulating hormone. Those are the ones that you'll see, let's say, inside the cycle, those three that you just mentioned, and luteinizing hormone, follicular stimulating hormone. Follicular stimulating hormone is something that they measure, for example, to see you know how fertile you may still be, because it's really about... How much of that hormone are you are you producing to communicate with the ovaries? Mm-hmm. The more your body's producing, it actually has an inverse effect. So you stop ovulating. Um, and the less you produce, the more efficient ovulation you have. So women with PCOS who are in their 20s, they can have elevated FSH. That can be modified with diet. In I've had, I remember one of the women I worked with years ago who was 43, she had an elevated FSH level of, I think it was 16. You know, we did the flow protocol together and she brought that down to a seven and then wow. she got pregnant naturally. So you can a 100% change what your body is doing if you change its inputs
0: and you take the right care of yourself. So what do you eat if that is the case and you're dealing with PCOS?
2: So it. It isn't, you know, those are those questions that I sort of love-hate. I have a love-hate relationship. It's like, what do you eat? What's the, what's the perfect diet? It's it's a method. And that's what the cycle-syncing method is about, right? So if you're actively dealing with an issue, PCOS, fibroids, endometriosis. I have a fibroid. Then you go- then you go through the flow protocol, which is sort of our triage protocol. So first, you're going to work on stabilizing blood sugar. Obviously, it's the most important thing when we when it comes to endocrine homeostasis. Then you're going to deal with cortisol. That's so another hormone we talked about that really can have an adverse effect on the cycle, on your reproductive hormones, insulin, and then cortisol. Then you're going to work on estrogen metabolism, which we just talked about why that's so essential as well and some foods that you can do to eat that. Once you go through those first three steps, you've really given your body a new like, playing field, a leveling of what it needs to do its job. And then you move into the cycle syncing method, which aligns your calorie intake, your food type, and your fitness intensity and type based on the phase of the cycle that you're in. And why that's important is because it's a more accurate way and a more dynamic way of making sure you keep insulin and cortisol levels balanced throughout the cycle with your diet, with your exercise, so that you don't disrupt progesterone and estrogen, right? So that you have a healthy cycle. So it's a way to eat dynamically and take care of yourself dynamically. So you actually are actively supporting the cycle as opposed to just Doing the same thing every day and hoping that you have a good cycle. You don't have to hope and you don't have to guess. You can you can one hundred percent reverse engineer a healthy cycle, and that's what the cycle thinking method is so helpful for so many women because you're told what to eat when. So if you, you know there's chart in chapter four of the book, you eat certain foods and a certain calorie amount in the follicular phase and the ovulatory phase. You then change the calorie amount. You increase it in the luteal phase because you need. You, you're making and you're 3d printing a small organ during the luteal phase, right? The endometrial lining, it's no big deal. It's like, you know, it's like we 3d print tiny human beings. We 3d print organs every month. It's incredible. But what does that require in order for you to do that? Micronutrients, right? You ha- you have to have those in abundance. So you have to feed yourself more calories. And the reason why you find yourself more hungry during this time is that your metabolism speeds up. So it, you're much more easily, finding yourself in hypoglycemia, low blood sugar states, if you don't eat enough, which Mm. you're told to restrict, restrict, restrict. So when you get to the luteal phase, that restriction that kind of worked for you in the first half of the cycle, you could tolerate it. Now your body is like red alert. We don't have enough glucose for the brain, the heart and the muscle tissue. Please send out this powerful neurotransmitter called ghrelin to make this person eat anything that has sugar. And you will kind of go into a a trance, a ghrelin trance, I like to call it. And then you will wake up, uh, usually at the bottom of a bag of something. And you'll be like, oh, hi, I'm back. Because your blood sugar is back. And your brain and your heart and your muscle tissue and the endocrine system have now done their biofeedback conversation. And they are good. So you don't have to eat. But you don't want to get to that place where you're eating a bag of junk stuff, right? You want to proactively, preemptively eat things that keep your blood sugar stable throughout the day. And then you want to make sure you're not doing the wrong workouts that could disrupt your blood sugar stability and exacerbate elevated levels of cortisol that we have during this time, which can then suppress progesterone production, make you feel like you're having estrogen dominance, decrease your fertility, make the symptoms of perimenopause worse. It sounds like there's this whole complicated thing going on, but it's really just all the things that can go wrong when we don't do the very simple, obvious, logical thing that the body has mapped out for us. And that's what's so essential about and I think why so many women are responding to the cycle syncing method is because it just makes sense and also because it works right it's the form of self-care that matches our hormonal biology there's no other way around it and when you know I promised you at the beginning to talk about what do we do throughout our reproductive lifespan our 20s our 30s and 40s what's the most important thing we can do to really protect our hormonal health all the way through that moment where we have our last bleed, and then we're now postmenopausal. The most important thing that you can do is to support this cyclical hormonal pattern in the way that it needs, in the right time. And the best way I know how to do that is with the cycle syncing method, because it's exactly mapped onto what's happening. Um, and the good news is, it's not that complicated. I promise. It may feel a little overwhelming at first because Mm -hmm. it's a lot of new information, but start simple. Start with just your workouts or start with just your vegetables, change your vegetables, start with just your calorie intake, start anywhere, and then add month over month, add one more action that's in alignment with the cycle. And pretty quickly, you're going to master the process. You're going to feel like you're supposed to feel, your symptoms are going to be far fewer. And you're going to be in the flow.
0: Yeah. And you have it all easy in an app. I know that we signed up this summer and now we have to get back to it. We, we both desperately need this. Um, But I can see where if someone is really doing this method, getting pregnant will actually happen without having to do IVF. And so, or if you do have to do IVF, let's say there's some genetic thing that
2: your, your family has or your husband or whatever it is that your partner, sometimes you need an intervention that's fine. You could do a natural, you'd be a candidate because your hormones are so supported. You would not necessarily need to do all the estrogen stim, which is good, especially because of the things we were talking about before. You could do essentially a natural cycle, Mm -hmm. right? And then harvest an egg, test it, whatever you need to do, have a successful, you know, implanting, transplanting, you know, that whole experience and have a one and done scenario as opposed to having doing this for years and years and years, right? And pumping yourself with so
0: many hormones, which I I think, I I don't think a lot of people know there's that option of doing it through your natural cycle and retrieving eggs naturally.
2: A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that is a reasonable intervention. If there's something that, you know, if you've had recurrent miscarriages, 90% of miscarriages are caused by genetic anomalies, right? And so if that's, happening for you and you don't want to go through the heartbreak of another miscarriage, right. Which obviously is a reasonable thing to want to avoid. You could with supporting your cycle, taking the right supplements, really prepping your body, do a natural retreat, like a natural cycle retrieval, make sure that you have a healthy embryo and then go for the, you know, conception, right. With the, the little assist. Um, and I think it's just really important to know that you you can do so much to support yourself. I even put together a whole, I think you can see them over here in the box, Nurture. There's, you know, I, I recently launched, there's two here and two here, a new round of formulations, one for PCOS called restore to help you restore your cycle one for heavy bleeding and estrogen dominance called release to help you release all of that excess estrogen one to help you with your fertility journey whether you're trying to do it naturally or with especially if you're doing the ivf it's called nurture and then one for perimenopause called ease to help you deal with the turbulence and you know you can use the combination the best thing the best tools we have to move the needle in terms of our hormonal performance are macro and micronutrient therapy, the food that you're eating and the supplements that you're taking at medical grade therapeutic doses. And I think that's also important. It's frustrating too. There are a lot of products in the market, a lot of brands, you know, something that costs $30 a month costs that person, you know, $15 or $10 to make, and they're selling it to you at a markup. Those are really cheap ingredients that are not going to actually give you a physiological transformation in your hormones, mm-hmm. or they're being made to be bioavailable with something like bioperine, which is a black pepper compound which can increase gut permeability. Which, if you've got, if you're just trying to heal from your SIBO or your leaky gut, and you're taking these supplements that are manufactured with that kind of thing in it you know, it's not, you're going to be taken two steps back. So yeah. quality is so important when you're choosing your, your, your micronutrient therapy. And I'm, I'm really proud of the the formulations that we have here because, you know, you know, I'm always trying to build the things that we need because yep. I don't see them. And so that's what we're doing. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I hope that in this conversation, women, listening feel like there's so much they can do. And there's, you can just dive in anywhere. You can just dive in anywhere. Start small. Don't overwhelm yourself and know that every month it's going to get better and better.
0: Before we let you go, because I did say I was going to ask about hormone replacements. Do you think that there's a time where people need to use hormone replacement therapy? Or do you think that you can really just restore with the diet and the support, macro and micro, like you said?
2: I have helped countless women transition through perimenopause without bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. It does not have to be a miserable symptomatic journey. Now, postmenopausally, right? And and I think it's really unfortunate that we just say menopause because menopause is your last lead, but postmenopause is this... 20 to 30 year or more period of time in which you're going to have these new static lower levels of estrogen and progesterone and testosterone. You may find that that lower level is problematic for you. Right? It may be causing you all sorts of un, un, new symptoms that are different from the perimenopausal journey, which is all the hot flashes and night sweats and that kind of thing. It could be causing you vaginal dryness or pelvic prolapse or um, depression or bone density issues or vision issues. You know, there's a lot of progesterone receptor sites on the cells of our eyes. So at 45, a lot of women notice like, I can't see the way I used to see. It. And it's because our progesterone levels are decreasing. And so our vision's less sharp. Wow. Uh, you know, th- that can become very acute in the menopausal journey. I know Dr. Lisa Moscone is looking um, uh, at the connections between this sort of new lower level of estrogen and dementia and Alzheimer's. And so there may be reasons that are very reasonable for you to consider some bioidentical hormone replacement if it's safe for you if you don't have cancer history in the family if you don't currently have cancer but there are also ways to support your body without bioidentical hormones Um, and you know you just need to be aware that you have to look and understand and make choices in, in both of
0: those directions got it wow that was a lot Um, but I'm really, really encouraged and excited, um, by all of this new information. And I've written my own notes for myself in here (laughs) with my busted elbow. Um, and, uh, and I'm just so grateful for your time today and for all of this, we're going to put everything Alisa in the summary of this episode, whether it's her website, flowliving.com, her Instagram and all of that. And uh, we will definitely have her back. Don't worry, <laughs> because I'm sure there's so many more questions that you guys wanted me to ask that I couldn't get to. But Alisa, um, thank you as always for being super, um, super up on all of this and just the continuous journey to find the answers to help us. I think that. You're, uh, you're a real gift to all of us and I can't wait to get back on the cycle syncing method um, app and actually really focus on it. I think when I first got there, it was just a lot of turbulence in life and I think this is the moment where I really need to hone in on it. So thank you.
2: Oh, I'm so excited. Keep me posted.
0: All right. I love Elisa. Me too. I love her brain. I love how she thinks. I love what she studied and I love the gift that she's giving us. So uh, friends, friends. I know it can be annoying <laughs> and it's a lot more, but it is so incredibly important that we take care of our systems. And when you hear, like she said said in the opening, all the different things that are affected, um, just learning to work with our bodies as women, rather than being like, why am I feeling like this? How come I'm so hungry right now? I'm never hungry. Why am I so hungry today? And why, oh, how come I can't get through this workout? I can normally get through this workout like in the- those are their reasons for it, but we don't understand our bodies as much as we need to. So uh, I am very, very eager and excited to get back on the cycle syncing method. I start. We set it up and then we never actually did it. Yeah. Um, we were dealing with so much with my mom. So here we go. Uh, this happened for a reason, and this is the calling to to get to the next level. And I think that. Um, that'll be instrumental in your success as well.
1: I think so too. I'm excited because like you said, I use her app, the Flow app, when, and I track my periods, but I don't do it religiously. Mm. And I know it will be so helpful. And I mean, the amazing thing about her stuff is like you put in your symptoms and literally the app tells you what you could be doing better. It's like, oh, you have cramps? Okay, eat more fats. Like it's it tells you. And what I love about um, Lisa is like, okay, so add cilantro. Like simple fixes. It's not like you need to go spend a million dollars on this stuff. So I think it's going to be, yeah, huge for both of us and everybody. I'm excited.
0: Yeah. Well, she was saying off air, her Restore supplement, that there's uh, research about berberine, which we've talked about on the show before, lowering glucose levels or whatever. And somehow the right dose is really helpful for PCOS. And she has the right dose inside of her supplement. So you should definitely ask her more about that. I will. And look into that. We'll share that with you when we get back onto a chat show, friends. Um, But in the meantime, be nice people, make good choices, and be present.
1: This podcast and all related content published or distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menounos or mariamenounos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury. And you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare process. Program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions.